Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Third Coast Podcast. I'm Katie Mingle. We've got a special feature for you today instead of our full show. But before we get to it, just a little plea from me to you. We're in the middle of a mid-year fundraising campaign, and I just want to ask that if you value this podcast or anything that Third Coast brings you, our live listening events, our conference, our competitions, that you might throw some help our way in the form of, well, money. We very much need it to be able to keep bringing you all of this programming. You can do it really easily and quickly at our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. And if you go there, you'll see the the gifts you can get uh, for giving. There's some really cool stuff. And now a story from the Australian show, Long Story Short, about a guy who just keeps persevering despite being thrown a lot of curveballs. Here's Persevering Rick. Oh, and a quick note for non-Australian listeners. Show bags are themed bags stuffed with commercial merchandise and are a mainstay at Australian carnivals and fairs. Uh, That term is going to come up a couple of times. Long story short. Rick is a guy who doesn't exactly appear as he seems. He's a really smart guy, very successful, but he never learnt to read or write. It's something I think we take for granted now. But when he was a kid, he never learnt because he was deaf in one ear. Listen to the words. You ask how much I need you. I'll show you this room. Give it a shot. Oh. Everywhere I went, all over Australia, I bought her a teddy bear home. Flowers die, teddy bears never. Have a guess at how many how many bears are in this room. Have a guess. Oh, at least 500. You know, big ones, small ones, colour ones, all the colours of the rainbow, rainbow ones even, you know, Christmas ones. Not even a mouse. Even today, still buy a teddy bear, you know. Um, how often would you come in this room? Every day. When I went to school, I um, asked a lot of questions and um, I didn't know till years later that I was stone deaf in one ear. And because I was a problem child at school, I put my hand up to ask questions. The teachers got cranky with you, so they put me to the back of the classroom. So being at the back of the classroom, I heard nothing, so I learnt nothing. And that's why I, I can't read and write. Rick left school at 15 and got a job at a bakery, but it was tough. A couple of years later, it all fell apart for him. I was 18 years of age. Um, I got the sack. Um, I had no money coming in. My car was due for Rego that week. Uh, broke up with my long-time girlfriend that week. Um, so I had no job, no money, no Rego, no girlfriend. And then my mother kicked me out of my house, out of her house. <laughs> so I thought, well, nobody loves me. I said, what the heck? So I hopped in my car and drove up to Hassan's Walls Lookout, walked to the edge, didn't leave a note or anything like that. I just walked to the edge of the cliff and I stood there and I'm about to jump over the edge. Um, Gust of wind came along, nearly blew me over the edge and I turned around, there was no one there, but I turned around and said, just wait a minute, I don't need to push, I'll jump when I'm ready, you know. I'm building up to this, you know, you can't change your mind halfway down. 
in those few seconds of that gust of wind had come from nowhere and just disappeared, I... Um, I turned around and I said, oh, I'm going to prove all these people wrong. My father called me stupid all my life. I didn't have education and things like that. And I said, well, I'm going to have a big white double-storey house and I'm going to have a lot of money and I'm going to have a new car and all these things, you know, dreams of the future. And um, actually, I achieved everything that I said I'd do that day. There's no job too low for Rick. A job was a job. He started off emptying toilets in the middle of the night, then became a garbage man. Then I went to markets and shows and seen people selling all these things, and I thought, oh, I could do that. And then uh, I looked at toys and show bags, and I thought, no, oh, that looks good. I, I could do that. Well, <laughs> We're standing in a... Uh, it is a mini warehouse, I guess, full of pallets stacked with boxes and boxes of toys and over here I can see some of the toys are out this is like a kid's heaven oh yeah you know you got your ninja set there you got your ninja men you got your ninja archery set Rick's showbag business has grown and grown he's about to pass it on to one of his daughters he buys the goods designs and sells them himself then you set all your uh, contents up once you pack them you put them in the boxes you tape them you write on the boxes what they are Just for girls. Kids stuff. Rainbow pony. Wild West. Teddy bear. Viking. Ballet bag. Swipe. Cops are tops. They like that one. Ninja. High speed racing. Girly gear. Pony tails. Teddy bear. Teddy bear. Teddy bear. What do show bags mean to you? Like the kids say, Dad, your dream show bags, your live show bags, your, your show bags, everything. Well, when you're doing any sort of business, you do put your life into that business you know you you've got to be always thinking and I've laid in bed only that I I can't write it down that I used to tell the wife I said oh that'd be good in a show bag you know and that's where you do your most thinking when you're lying then saying oh if you put this 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 that'd be good that'd make a good bag you know the secret to his success is probably his love of kids and it's a lucky thing he has nine one day I took the daughter to the warehouse in Sydney I said righto darling I said I need Six toys. So she came back with a, a little rag doll and a pair of shoes, a little tea set. I put it together and um, it's the best-selling show bag I've had. <laughs> so when you're putting a show bag together, I have to think like a child. What toys did you play with when you were a kid? Teddy bears, cars, scooters, push bikes, then motor cars when I got bigger. Teddy bears. Teddy bears. I keep forgetting that Rick has built this whole empire without being able to read or write. It's got to be his lifelong entrepreneurial spirit that's got him through. My father, when I was a child, he pulled this old seat out of this car and he said it was all full of wool. And he said, oh, wool's worth a pound for a pound, you know? I thought, oh. So he's inside having a cup of tea, so I'm pulling all the wool out of the seat and putting it in a bag and next minute, neighbours down the road rings me dad up and he, oh, you better come and get your son. And he's knocking on the door with a bag of wool over his shoulder trying to sell it for a, for a pound. <laughs> you know? Rick's developed ways to get around a lack of literacy. He also has a surprising curiosity about the world around him. There's that many people out there who's the most educated, unemployed people around. My words are, I am what I am today through the choices I made yesterday. 
I've, I've tried a lot of things in life, you know, to make money, you know, to survive. Once I was out of work and drive along the highway in my little mini make with all the, the four kids at the time in the back and we were walking along the road, picking up aluminium cans, putting them in, you know, so we put food on the table. You come into my house, if the news is on, you shut up or I'll kick you out the back door. That's my time for, for learning what's going on in the world. I love documentaries. When did the Titanic sink? Well, 1912. You know, because I watched the movie and you absorb knowledge and knowledge is power. Before Rick's career in the show, his life had changed dramatically when he saw a woman near his house. Well, she was walking past. She had this little red pair of shorts on, and I used to look at her and admire her when she walked past and give her a whistle, you know. <laughs> She'd turn around and give me a filthy look. And because uh, at that time she was she was married and four children, but when when she broke up, well, then you know I I didn't pursue her until you know I knew she wasn't with her husband anymore, and um, I started talking to her, and um, you know we become friends and. Then we went out and it became more. Rick was 21 and taking on a wife as well as four children. And that is a big responsibility. You've got a ready-made family, you know. You usually marry someone what hasn't got children or whatever and things like that. But there's people out there that are uh, so caring, so loving, and, and you've got to look. You find your soulmate, mate. That's an incredible feeling. Because of the business, Rick was often away. But that didn't stop them. You make up for lost time and then park the shoes on the bed next minute and you're pregnant again. <laughs> on top of the four they started with, they had another four kids. She was it. She was a perfect woman. We would have been still married today, only that she had a tragic accident. Sort of misty rain, foggy. We're coming back from um, Queen Bien show. Rung the wife up. Going to call into and have a feed before I get home. Oh, I've got cold lettuce and chook. No, I feel like something hot. Rick's not far from home and drops into the local Chinese place. His wife heads out the door to run an errand. Sadly, they wouldn't meet at home. I left the restaurant. This truck come around the corner and he had high beam on me, so I just gave him a quick flick, you know, to drop his lights. And then when he went past, he had these two reversing lights out the back of his truck, which blinded me in my mirrors. When I got to the corner, I looked over and here's his car into the banks. She was in a tree sideways. I hit the maxis on the truck on the highway, put my hazards on, jumped out, ran over to the car, couldn't open the door, or couldn't help her, couldn't resuscitate or anything. She took a half a dozen breaths and died in my arms. And, uh, yeah. Uh, something, something you won't forget. I just held her and said a prayer and nothing you could have done. He'd come down, he'd cut the corner, run her off the road and forced her into a tree. I didn't get his registration, but I remember the truck. FG Hino, FFFG, bogey drive, it was a single drive with a lazy, blue torque liner, left hand light out. Remember everything about it. Couldn't sleep for a week. The kids just just throw me a blanket over the lounge. I could have took a handful of pills and joined her. You know, it's it just ripped me heart out. Yeah, just parked in the bushes and watched every truck that went past for a week. And it was five to seven, his truck went past, and I jumped in the car and drove off after him, flashed me lights at him, 
pull him over and I said, mate, last week at five to seven down at high mix concrete on that corner, I said, you were a truck come around the corner. I said, you had a high beam on. I said, I was the other truck coming towards you. I'd just give you a flick to drop you. Oh, sorry, mate. All right, established that it was you. I said, when you went past, I said, you had two massive big reversing lights out the back of the truck that you left on. You must have had a switch inside. Oh, I forgot to turn them off, mate. And I said, license and logbook, mate. Oh, you're going a bit far, aren't you? I said, no, mate, license and logbook. You want me to get out of the truck? I said, for your own safety, stay in the bloody truck. Mate, I was, my whole body was shaking. I would have just killed him there and then. And I said, for your safety, stay there. I said, you run my wife off the road last week, mate, and killed her. And he nearly fell out of the truck. He was shocked. He was horrified. I could see in his face, you know, he was, wow, you know. I don't think he realised what he actually had done. I went to the police and then they got him and brought him in and interviewed him and he admitted being there at that time, but there's not a thing they could do about it. They said, unless you actually seen him do it, I'm an honest person. I, I can't say that he... I seen him do it when I didn't. Well, the 15th of November is my wife's birthday. I married her on the 15th of November. So I wouldn't forget our wedding anniversary. <laughs> and uh, she died on the 15th of November. So it's a, it's a very special day. And um, it's a day where I just go and hide. Rick's showing me his house. We stopped by the CD player. He plays me his wedding song. It's called Until the Twelfth of Never. He's saving the last room of the house because it's special. Listen to the words. You ask how much I need you. When my first wife was alive, I never bought her flowers. Everywhere I went, all over Australia, I bought her a teddy bear home. There's a picture of my first wife. There are ashes. How often would you come in this room? Every day. What's your name? Lovely. Your name is Lovely? Yes. Yeah, okay. What do you do? You sell show bags. I sell show bags. You've been serving customers? Yes. What do you say to the customers? May I help you, Mum? May I help you, sir? And the boys? Uh, you like them, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Ten years after Rick's first wife passed away, he's remarried. His new wife's daughter helps him out with the show bags. She'll be the ninth child Rick has helped raise. I've, um, you know, turned my life around. I've achieved more than you can imagine and I'm happy, I'm, I'm, I'm in love again, I've got a new kickstart on life again. Long story short. Persevering Rick was produced for Long Story Short by Mike Williams with sound engineer Timothy Nicastri. Long Story Short was created and presented by Jesse Cox and Mike Williams and produced by Winding Track and Creative Nonfiction in association with ABC Radio National. The series producer is Lorena Alam. To read an interview with Jesse and Mike about the making of the story, go to our website, thirdcoastfestival.org.